We return to Paul's letter to the Philippian church this evening. Philippians chapter 4, or excuse me, yes, chapter 4, and it's going to be verses 2 and 3. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We read verse 1 last week, uh, really as what I think is more a conclusion of chapter 3. Uh, It's not that it's irrelevant to chapter 4, and certainly I think it it helpfully sets it up, but I think it's primarily a conclusion of chapter 3. And uh, so we pick up chapter 4 at verse 2, where I think the chapter's more beginning. And here now, uh, we'll be looking just at verses 2 and 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind, in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. As this is brief, let me read it once more for us. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. May God bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and ultimately the doing of his holy word. Again, we've transitioned now into chapter 4. Uh, verse 1, really, I think, more the ending of chapter 3. Remember, the numbers of chapters and verses are not original to the text. Usually pretty helpful, but sometimes can uh, might, might need to say, well, we're going to go into this chapter because it's really more connected. And, and so we did last week. Uh, call, Paul called on the people to stand fast. All that I have therefore said, especially, I think, in a crescendo of the last part of chapter 3, not to be taken away from our calling by those who pretend that they're Christians, but actually whose end is destruction. Be careful to know who you follow and then stand fast in following together. Stand fast together in following. And now he focuses mostly on closing remarks and some of what I think we're most familiar with, with Philippians in chapter 4. Uh, for their local special needs. And this is often what happens in Paul's letters. Romans is a good example. There's a lot of theology. There's a lot of application related to those things. And then at the end, there's kind of a, just kind of, I don't want to say rapid fire, but there's a lot of different things he says rather quickly. Uh, it's not that they're unrelated, but they almost can stand alone many times. They're just kind of, remember to do this, do this. It's almost like a, he's leaving soon, and remember to shut the windows, and remember to lock the doors. You know, it's that, It kind of has that feel to it, and so Philippians will have that too, although uh, you know, it's, it's not that simple. There's some pretty significant sections. And so here's just one thing that he's dealing with quickly and passes over rather quickly to get into other things. But here's an appropriate place to put it because he's just spent so much time on unity, on denying our own selves in humility for the sake of unity with Christ as our example, that we would help one another run the race and stand fast in running the race and not be held back from seeking after Christ and more of his uh, more godliness, more Christ-likeness. Uh, at first here, there's a brief comment making sure to get along and shift back to the main race so no one drifts. 
There are two ladies who he actually names. Imagine that, having your name in the Holy Scriptures. It's pretty incredible to consider. Romans, there's a lot of that. Sometimes people's names are brought up uh, not in a pleasant way. Other times they're brought up in a more difficult way. I'm going to hope to show to you tonight, I don't think this is actually so negative as, as some would have it. It isn't that there is not a bit of a correction here, but because of the relationship with the Philippian church, because of the context, it's really more of a, hey, I just want to encourage you, let's, let's focus back over here. That's about what I think it is tonight, but it's not without importance to look at. Uh, don't want to drift off the race because of some uh, difference of opinion, difference of preference, difference of doing the ministry that becomes more important than doing the ministry. It can become, uh, it could become contentious. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about bad doctrine. We're talking about some people aren't getting along because they don't really agree about something. And they've been working together a long time, we'll see. And he wants to make sure that doesn't go too far. Let's, let's turn it back to what we've always been doing. That's kind of the main, main thing we're dealing with here tonight. They need to let go of something to stay, make sure they hold on to one another and hold on to the main thing of the gospel service. And so Christians are to handle disagreements while serving Christ's church by staying focused on the main gospel ministry. That's the main idea of these verses tonight. Uh, I'll share with you later some other things, but you could say this scripture, uh, could be, what it can be for people is how to get along. How to get along. <laughs> now, some of you may be going, you want to know how to get along with those that you have friction with? And you know, you know it's not a real big deal, but it seems like it is. Uh, I'm hoping some of you, at least in your heart, are leaning forward. How to get along. I need to know this. You know? Uh, others who may not be. <laughs> others who may not be and just sitting back. Well, you probably should be getting interested. And you may be the problem. Because <laughs> the concern is not just him or her, but me. And sometimes my, the concern needs to be them. And I need to help. But it's a matter of how do we all get along. And I think we know from church history, not excluding ours, that can be an issue. Now, a lot of times they are real issues. And sometimes Paul sends people away by name. Some others leave by name. And he says the part that they left shows they were never with us. But this is not that context tonight. This is, hey, we're together. Let's work well together. And that is, how do we conduct ourselves? How do we encourage one another to stay the gospel course. And here's the message for you tonight from the text. Help one another to keep working well together. Help one another to keep working well together. If you start to recognize a little bit of just annoyance or disagreement over things, you know it's not a big thing, but those things can become big things. Or you're noticing maybe there's a little tension with others. You need to get involved. You don't just ignore that and pretend it's none of your business. He's going to call on others to come help these ladies whom he's also calling on first to work on this. Help one another to keep working well together. That's the message. First, look for the best in one another serving Jesus. Look for the best in one another serving Jesus. Remember all that you've done with and for one another in serving the church in the past and how much history you have together. Start there, Paul giving the example. Review projects that you've done over the years. Remember how that haircut you used to have back then at church camp? What are you know? Oh, yeah. Remember when we survived that real big hardship and you were going through this and we were all together and we got through that and the Lord showed himself and provided? Remember how we mutually supported? Remember that, remember that uh, harvest feast we had that one year and the boy that just remember that 
Remember how uh, we got uh, past uh, Elder Renner to do his his uh, bell ringer joke again for the 23rd time, and it was still funny. You know, you have a history together of celebration and mutual service that you should reminisce over. That's the place to start. Hey, guys, you know what? You know, if there's some tension, hey, you remember when you guys, I remember, whatever it is, you know, and you get people to be remembering what we have in common, remember our shared heritage. This is what Paul is doing. Build a bridge based on a foundation with columns already established, built over many years together. Build on that. Paul is acknowledging and affirming them in all they've been doing with one another and with him for many years for gospel church service. I think we need to recognize that's most of these two verses. What can tend to be emphasized is there's some kind of disagreement, but they don't tell us what it is, so it can't be that. It's significant enough to get mentioned. But it's not significant enough to be spoken about in any detail. It's just a quick little, hey, let's remember how great we are together, how long we've been working together. You know, let's start there. And chapter one, isn't that a lot of what Paul's talking about? Yeah, I just love you. You've, thank you for this next gift that you've sent. Thank you for sending Epaphroditus to me. I'm sending him back so you know he's okay. And he's saying, I remember when I was there, we started the church. And he might say, I remember Lydia. I remember the lady who was... Uh, possessed, you know, the jailer, you know, how are they all doing? Let's remember what we have in common. All this service. Chapter one, he talks quite a lot about that. Rejoicing that they continue to be doing that. And they're one of the most reliable churches for him. Verse two, he names these two ladies. Let's look at their names. These are real people, beloved. Isn't that something to think about? Eudeus and Syntyche. I don't know that I'm saying them perfectly. These are Greek names, and these names probably are the kind of names that show they're, they're probably born into higher families. They've, they, they are probably fairly well uh, esteemed because of their place in society, and they're also here in the church. You can think of Lydia, uh, part of the founding of the church in, here in the Philippian church. She was a worker in fine purple linen. She would have been wealthy, uh, it seemed like at least hosted the church at first. And so these ladies are, are ladies who are well-known. They've been working together a long time with him and with one another. And it's not so much that he's calling them out as calling them to attention in good standing by acknowledging and showing respect. Now, other places, you know, we know Paul might call someone out by name in a way that's meant to criticize. But in this case, I think he's honoring them, mostly, he didn't have to mention their names. He, he might have avoided that if it was not significant and just say, hey, I know there's a few ladies there who need to work on it. I'm not going to name them. He names them. I think it's actually out of honor. I mean, think about it. If someone, if you see your name listed on something, it's kind of, oh, wow, they thought to mention my name, right? Uh, I think that he's honoring them by mentioning them mostly. He needs to give them some correction, but he's starting with honoring them. He's confirming their status. He says in verse 3, Uh, these who in the gospel worked together with me. Hey, we've been working together for years. Remember how many times you put me up in the guest room, you know? You know how many times, you know, your dog broke into my room? Or I don't know, you know, we've been working together for years for the ministry. And so he's speaking well of them. You who have worked with me and worked with one another and worked with, most importantly, one another. 
you two ladies have worked with one another. And he's, he's reminding of them, uh, them that as a good thing to build on. And then Clement and others, uh, fellow workers of me. And uh, some people think one of the names, one of the words is actually a name of a person, but it's, you know, fellow yokemen, something like that. This idea of working together, rolling up uh, our, shirt, our shirt sleeves and having worked together for a long time. We're all in this together. Is kind of what he's saying. We've all been in this together for a long time. Hey, whatever this thing is, let's remember that and let's not let that get in the way of who we are together, fellow workmen in Christ. Uh, Frank Thielman points out also the Greek word for labored with. Labored with in verse 3 means to contend in battle or to compete in the athletic games. Now remember, we've been seeing that imagery the last few weeks, and it's been even started in verse 1. He has this eye of a, idea of a team, teamwork, work as a team. He has this idea of always working together as a covenant community. And so he's appealing to that. Hey, there's already this theme of victories that we have won together as a band of brothers. And it's so much that should keep us together already. He's acknowledging and confirming all their mutual commitment. And their overall being his special joy and crown. Remember, that's been the the feel and a a, a background theme in all of this. How close they are, this church and Paul. How much they've been together working for years. Again, a lot of that referenced in chapter 1. Now, he even says their names are written in the book of life. There's no challenging, I'm not sure you're Christians if you can't go along. He's, he's establishing, he's affirming who they are in Christ, so they work together in Christ. He's affirming their names are written in the book of life. Now, this is an interesting theme we could spend some time on, but I'm not going to because I don't think it's main, uh, the main thing to be thinking about. I think he's mainly just affirming. He's establishing who they are. You've been working a long time in the church. You've been working with me a long time, sacrificing, suffering, working as a team. I don't doubt that you're real Christians. I don't doubt we'll be together in heaven. And I want to build off of that. He's, you can go to other scriptures if you want to look at this idea of the book of life. Names being registered or written before God. Luke chapter 10 verse 20. I'm going to go through them quickly. If you don't get them all, let me know. If you'd like to have them, I can give you those references. But Luke 10, 20. Exodus 32, 32 to 33. Psalm 69, 28, Isaiah 4, 3 and 4, Daniel 12, verse 1, Hebrews 12, 23, and I believe there's some more of that idea in the book of Revelation. So this is an interesting theme, something maybe to come back and have a study about. But I, I think that's about all that needs to be said now. It's just a number of ways. This is one of the ways, along with everything he said, of affirming them as brothers, as brothers and sisters, in this case, sisters in Christ. What did he just say in verse 1? My brethren, my dearly beloved. And so he's affirming, you are brethren. You are sisters in Christ. Let's focus on that. Let's celebrate that. Again, he doesn't even name the conflict. You got two verses here. It's only mentioned in really one verse. The rest is just a lot of really good stuff and let's help. Let's help them. He mostly establishes their names and years of unity, and he affirms them to get back to doing what they have been together. Again, if it was serious enough, he would have called it out directly. They are not in the situation of Galatia or Corinth. While he's concerned they don't get there, chapter 3, he deals with Judaizers very strongly and calls them dogs. 
And then he deals with those who are not true Christians but want to live in sin all the time and pretend they don't have to change. And he's very concerned about that. So it's not that he doesn't do those kinds of things, but here that's not what's happening. He's transitioned. Unlike other letters where he is calling people out, and often by name, and he's often giving a strong rebuke, here he can beseech. He says, I beseech you, Euodius. I beseech you, Syntyche. Notice two things. That, that word beseech means to call, call together, ask earnestly, entreat, request. Now, in other places, he commands And uh, he can make a command easily, and he does. Especially with Galatia, he establishes authority. Corinth, too, they're doubting him, and he's got to strongly challenge them. So he puts on the apostleship at. Remember, he doesn't identify himself as apostle here with the letter to the Philippians at the beginning. That's unusual. He doesn't have to. Instead, he calls himself a doulos, a servant, because it's the context where he doesn't have to do that. But here he's therefore beseeching, and he's being nice, he's requesting. But then he's also saying, beseech you, Euodius, and beseech you, Syntyche. It's kind of like, hey, Euodius. He's not there, it's a letter, but he's saying, I'm honoring you. Now, also, you, Syntyche, now let's just talk about this, and let's remember who we are. That's what, that's what seems to really be going on here. He's not doing what happens in other places. He's, he's fine doing that and does it a lot. But here it's unnecessary. You could think of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. He says, you tell me, you tell me, Corinthians, whether I need to come with a rod or in meekness. How I come to you depends on you. You know, I got all the tools, and I'll use the tool that's necessary for the particular job. Where are you? See, the Philippians, he doesn't have to even suggest how I'm coming to you because they are working so well together. They're so humble. They have for years and years been denying themselves in humility for the sake of unity and the gospel service. And he's not doing that here, but he does do that elsewhere and even says, you pick, what do you want to the Corinthians? But this is just a small matter. So he touches on it. He wants to make sure it doesn't become anything. And then move on. And building on all the good stuff they have together, kind of, you know, you can almost see, like, you know, you bring two people together who are kind of arguing about something silly. Hey, guys, come on, it's Peacemaker. And next thing you know, as they're joking, they're kind of like smiling. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. You crazy. You stayed up all night watching that show. I don't know what it is. But, you know, like, he's getting them to remember who they have been together. And there's not much that needs to be said. He doesn't need to deal with the specifics. And he only needs to touch on it and move on. He is concerned it doesn't become Galatia. It doesn't become the Corinthians. But this is all that's needed for these folks with these ladies who've worked so well together for so long. It's like whatever it is, I don't know. It's the color of the curtains in the fellowship room. And for some reason, man, oh, man, it's got to be this color, not that color. You know, that can happen, right? Friends for years can just start to get at odds over something not important. Important to them, but not important to what we're actually doing here, right? And so he's just getting them to laugh over it and have a cup of tea together and move on. Okay, done, we move on. That's essentially what he's doing. Beloved, when minor issues arise between well-seasoned and well-behaved brethren who have shown over time who they are together, start there. 
with affirmation and bring them together regarding what they have done together and agree to disagree on what doesn't really matter. Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. All things, even of discipline, are ultimately for the church's edification. That's James Duran on a book that's coming out in reprint with Reformation Heritage Books. He points out discipline is so important, it barely happens anymore. He gives a lot of criticisms to people in the church about not submitting to the church's discipline. Not so much if it's upon you, but he does talk about that. But if you don't think you like something and you just leave, like he just really challenges, you don't just up and leave church fast. You know, he, but he says all the discipline, all these things, are ultimately for edification of the body of Christ. That can mean sometimes, well, we have to watch out for what leaven is here, and you know, but ultimately it's all for the edification of the whole body. And that needs to be the goal. Sam Crabtree's book, remember we studied a while back Wednesday nights, Practicing Affirmation. Affirming is what he's doing. Before he corrects, he's affirming, he's commending. And uh, you even see Jesus do that. He commends what he can commend, though he has serious criticisms of the churches in Asia, most of them. But he commends what he can commend. And uh, we want to be looking at that. And in those cases, they were really big deals. And if they didn't change, it was going to be really serious from him directly. He talks about, Sam Crabtree in his book, Practicing Affirmation, he talks about uh, affirmation and the admonition ratio. You want to think about having a proper ratio. Just try to really just pay attention to how you work with people generally. So he says, you know, you must, and by the way, no one's perfect. I mean, part of this is, is we forgive each other. We work, you know, we're always about the unity, right? But generally, how you want to try to work on yourself is uh, you want to be affirming someone at least three times for every one correction. And he says, really, you should be trying to have the habit where you are affirming people five times for every one correction. That's the kind of culture uh, that should be developing. Uh, Always try and commend before you correct. And again, we're talking about basic behavior, tendencies, not a needful rebuke for a serious, repetitive sin. I mean, there are places where Paul is really adamant about someone and specific things and he's not letting up he's not pulling any punches ultimately to bring about repentance and restoration but that's not what this is this is just you know general life we want to be affirming and even when we're dealing with a small thing we want to first try to come in as peacemaker and you know get the aw shucks as we talk about all we have done together and make one another appreciate and remember the kind of things we can, we can forget quickly uh, when we let ourselves get out of line. Here, the idea is we've got some kind of a quibble. Maybe it's a little more significant than that. Uh, and we want it to be calmed. We want to calm the quibbles together. Because they can become big things. And it's silly when they do. Then, they are even more able to take the correction when you have commended them first. So do that and look to support one another in staying focused on what is best serving Jesus. Look for the best in one another serving Jesus and look to support one another in staying focused on what is best serving Jesus. 
Some people just don't do things the same way you do. And it annoys you. Some people just annoy you. But they're not sinning. It's not, it's not a major gospel, eternal kingdom church issue. What's important is not to think about such minor things and focus on your common goal. Focus on your common commitment as covenanted members of Christ's church. Thinking about all you've done in that commitment over the years and all you do agree on and all you do have in common. And you don't let new carpeting split a church. Uh, you heard stories about that? I think I heard a story about that here once. I'm not sure how far it went, but I hear a te- some long time ago. But, you know, there's a lot of problems and mum- murmuring when the carpeting was put in. The color, I think uh, something else related to the pews. That kind of stuff. Come on. Let it go. All right, you don't like the color? It's done. You know, move on. It's not that. Let's not obsess about the color every time we come to your... <clears throat> you know. I'd like to have no carpeting. I'd love to have hardwood floors. How the psalm singing a cappella would sound. Woo! But you know what? Come on. I'm not going to start pushing that. You know, maybe someday we've got nothing else to be thinking about. Uh, probably that's not coming. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, just come on. Let's not worry about what carpeting we have, for instance. Let's not worry about a new paint job. At the end of the day, let's just figure it out and not get totally distracted for a long time about that. And frankly, I'm thinking about a recent session discussion when we were thinking we may need to paint the, the, uh, the fireside room. And I'm one of the perpetrators where we just, we, we were pretty, we really are not arguing, but we we're getting a little grumpy with each other. And at the end of the day, I said, you know what? I don't agree, but that's fine. Let's, we'll just, we're going to make it work. Let's, fine. But, you know, those kinds of things sometimes can stay in your craw. You know, you won't believe what color. You won't believe they don't want to do this. That's, you have to do it that way. You know, oh, come on. In your opinion. <laughs> you know, but that's not, come on. You remember how many years we've been serving together through thick and thin and how much unity and how much we've supported one another and what we stand for. Give me a break. Painted polka dots. No, don't worry, ladies. We're not doing polka dots. You know. but, uh, we're not even planning on painting. It was something we had to think through on different things that came up. But just, you know, if it is polka dots, I'm still coming. I know some of you are like, I don't know if I... <laughs> we're talking about the fireside room, not the church. But uh, don't worry. There's no. I need to make sure this is very clear. We're not doing any painting right now. And certainly not polka dots. So you just get the idea, okay? Or old style of furniture. Or new style of furniture. Now, this is another thing. One of the things my wife and I have really had to learn how to work on together, as, you know, not newlyweds exactly anymore, but relatively new, is we have very different tastes and styles. And she's nodding her head. <laughs> you have something to say, honey? No, it's okay. No, yeah, um, we just do. We just have, we just have very, I'm not going to tell you what those styles are. We can go over that another time for amusement outside of a sermon. But we've really had to work on that. It has sometimes been, even last week was something I brought home. <laughs> and we have to learn how to compromise. Now, the beautiful thing is, we do try to learn what one another likes and try to be considerate of it and respect it. Because it's not a gospel issue. It's not a vital truth of religion. We are both very opinionated people, and we know what we like and why. But we are married, we love each other, and what's more important? We love each other, the marriage, and so she gets to do whatever she wants. No, just kidding, right? We compromise. We figure it out, and the great thing is we usually find something we both like. 
It isn't what she'd first choose, not what I'd first choose, but we're happy with it together. And that's the idea. And then sometimes I do just defer to her because I know she'll worry about it more than I will once it's done. Or vice versa, she may defer to me. She wants my opinion strongly. I may not have one, but she really wants it and makes me have to think about it. When I don't, I'm not even need to think about it, honey. Just do it. But you see, there's been a lot of time we've been working on that to learn how to not let the fact that we have completely different tastes be such a big issue that we get distracted by that when, when the marriage and the family is more important. We don't need to let that become an issue. That's the kind of thing I think we're talking about here. It's not a big deal. Probably didn't start out a big deal. But, you know, after you looked at that one chair, the next thing you know, Syntyche's going back after they agreed no. You know, come on. You don't like this? Are you crazy? It's beautiful. You know, whatever it is. And it's just that kind of thing we got to know how to say it's not that important. And they seem to already know that, and they even seem to already be working on it. We need to help others also focus on the main mutual service. A home, our family, our church, and all that we have in common for all the years we have been building this thing together in love. And much that we love and agree on. Let's get back to that. And the unity that is much more important that we would have by knowing how not to let things that aren't important start to become that way in a way that creates a disagreement that can drag on and risk development. Again, it just couldn't have been that bad, it seems to me. It's not a situation that's even named. I I I mean, I'm giving some illustrations of what I think it possibly could look like, but we don't know. I don't think we should speculate. We don't know what the problem was, and he barely touches on it. He quickly touches on it and moves on to many good things. So we looked at before, all the affirmation is really most of the message, right? He gently says, beseech before each name, showing mutual respect and seeking himself to help them come together. In fact, Kevin, uh, Kenneth West says, the word help in verse 3 implies that Yudia and Syntyche uh, were already trying to lay aside their differences. I said Yudia should be Yudias. Uh, excuse me, I'll add an S there for my notes. But it looks like by the word help that they were already starting to work on taking care of these differences. And so, you know, Paul's calling on uh, other fellow workers and Clement to help them. He's not saying make them. He's not saying get in there and get these people to get their head on straight. He's saying, hey, help them along. You know, get in there and I can't be there. Remind them of all you've done together, you know. Help them uh, laugh about this silly disagreement, you know. That's what he's asking them to do. Help suggest they're already working on it because they know this shouldn't be so big deal. Again, West says the word help show, implies that Eudias and Syntyche were already trying to lay aside their difficulties. In verse 2, the command of the scripture here today is for the two of them in some kind of minor disagreement to instead think in the Lord. Think in the Lord, which will give the proper perspective to stay united and at peace. Think in the Lord. Let's get back to thinking about what Christ thinks about what Christ mainly wants us to be thinking about. And it isn't whether or not we're painting polka dots in the fireside room. It isn't about what color carpet we have. These things are not unimportant, but they're not significant 
and they must not cause us to develop significant disagreements of preferences or things we don't like that would allow us to distance ourselves from one another and have a little bit of tension or awkwardness there. Those kinds of things the devil gets in on and turns into something that isn't. You know, years ago we had a lady visiting us nearby in the neighborhood and she really was interested in becoming part of our church. But we don't just, as you know, bring people into church without uh, going through study, make sure they understand and really want to be here. Uh, but also we say we always want to make sure to understand why you're leaving your church uh, if they're coming from another church. And we want to make sure that there isn't any unresolved issues that they're just running from. And so I mentioned to her after a few weeks, you know, we're going to want to call your pastor and just let them know that you're here and you're thinking of joining our church and just make sure they're aware of that and well, that next week, she went back to the church. You know why? Because they had had a disagreement and a misunderstanding, and it was an inappropriate with one other lady just abandoning the church and the pastor. And it was, it, I recall the, some of the details. It was a pretty silly thing. But that can happen. That can happen. And we're supposed to just communicate and not let those things be what they are. And so they went, we would love to have her, but not the wrong way. And not with uh, the, some kind of disintegration in another church for it to happen. We need to think in the Lord. That gives us the proper perspective to stay in unity and peace. Think in the Lord. Think in the Lord. Same mind in the Lord. Now later in verse 8, this is how you have peace. This is how you stay content. Think on these things, right? Whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is right. Not whatever you don't like, whatever annoys you. Don't, don't harp on those things. Don't spend lots of time worrying about what kind of bothers you. Whatever is good, whatever is righteous, holy. focus on those things. Think on these things. Paul is often telling us how to think. What to think about and what to not waste time thinking about. Think on the main things. Think on these things. It's the same thing he's done in the letter earlier. Look back to chapter 127. This idea of thinking the right things, focusing on what we're all about as the main thing together. And we'll be all right. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be, that means your behavior, as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Think in the Lord. That whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Stand together for the main things that matter, the main truths of the scripture. Look ahead to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Oh, you know, you like... You like the green, I like the blue, you know, but you're, you're amazing. You, I'm sure you know more about color and fashion than I do. Let's go with the green. Yeah. Think others better than yourself. And then look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was that mind? Self-sacrifice for the sake of building up the others. Dying literally dying to himself for the sake of the life of the others. Humility, 
death, even the death of the cross for the sake of others. Have that mind. He's talking more than anything about an attitude, a disposition, holding others in high esteem even above yourself. Christ had the attitude of humbling himself to lift up his people. And we should have the same desire and behavior if we are Christ's. And if we have the mind of Christ. James Montgomery Boyce points out in verse 5, it's really talking about the kind of attitude we should have. Let's turn ahead to chapter 3, verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained... Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let us remember what to be focusing on. And again, that scripture is on the top left of the inside of our bulletin. And it's been there since I got here. I'm sure it's been there a lot longer, obviously. And it's a good one to have. Let us remember to walk the old paths. Let us remember we've been walking together those good old right paths, the narrow way. And let's remember those kinds of things are what we are to focus on. Let's not get distracted from them. By petty differences. That we tend to, I mean, it almost makes me shiver to think of this myself, you know, the kind of things that we can almost make scripture, the gospel truth, has to be carpeting, has to not be carpeting, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Let's not let those things take precedent and cause us disagreements. We can just agree to disagree. We can make our points, make our cases in the context that we know, you know, I'm going to defer ultimately to what everybody thinks. James Montgomery Boyce points out that the mind of Christ that we're supposed to have is the the thinking in the Lord that is in our verse tonight is the humble mind, the lowly mind. And he says, and I think this is important to emphasize, this humble, lowly mind that keeps unity, this will never occur apart from a personal and intimate walk with God. Amos 3, verse 3, I I supply, if we are not agreed, how can we walk together? And that's God speaking to the people to agree with him and how they are to walk. He goes on to say, if you are far from the Lord, then frictions will inevitably spring up between yourself and other Christians. If you don't spend a lot of time in the Bible as we saw this morning, filling your heart with the loving words of God, you're not going to be able to love others and humble yourself. You're going to be proud. If you're not spending time in prayer with the Lord, you're likely to fight with the Lord's people over stupid little things. If you find yourself fighting wherever you go, and there are some who can't stay in any church because nobody's good enough for them and everything bothers them, But they never humble themselves. And frankly, uh, as one of the, I think it was Thomas Watson says, those who are the most critical are the most sinful. As a general rule. If you find yourself in friction with others all the time, it means you need to read more of the Bible, pray more, and learn how to grow in grace more. That's what Paul's been kind of telling us the whole time, right? That's how we have church unity. I don't remember who said it and whether it's this or some other sermon, but it was some research recently. It comes to mind. It's probably for this. It's better to be known for patience than to be known for friction and division. Romans 15, verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded 
one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now, of course, he's saying focus on the main things there. He says you're not going to agree on everything. And just in life things. I mean, you may even have some differences of whether or not we should have communion every week or not. But, you know, let everyone have the the same mind. Let us all have patience and be like-minded one to another. The main things. Let's make sure we focus on the main things and not get straying off of them. Stay focused on unity with the mind of Christ. Your desire should be to avoid unnecessary disagreements. And if there needs to be one, to approach it with the goal to immediately, as soon as possible, have peace and unity in how we proceed together. And if we need to be a dissenting voice, so be it, and we move on and let it go. Not to let minor squabbles get them distracted from the big picture. And so the others, Paul says, get involved, help these ladies, please. Others should get involved and help to distract and redirect It's not such a big deal. Make sure it doesn't become one. That's kind of what we're seeing here today. They've been serving for years together. Keep it that way. Keep thinking in the Lord. Remember all we have. Remember all I've just said about unity. And keep thinking in the Lord. Before I go on to close with these other things. Keep thinking in the Lord, ladies. Other people who've been working with these ladies and working with me as they've worked with me, please assist them, help them, remind them. Remind them of who we are together and what we've been doing. I know it's not this simple, but I couldn't help but think again with a couple of toddlers, the youngest toddler more and more uh, proven he's two. And you can hear screaming all the time, what is going on? It's usually... He's got my toy. I didn't give it to him. He won't let go. <laughs> you know? And the, of course, the two-year-old, all he says is, everything's mine. Just give it to me and we'll be fine. <laughs> you know? So there's, there's just a lot of tension. And sometimes what I find helpful for when, I, when the Lord helps me on my better days to think of it and react properly, hey, guys, let's, let's look at this toy together or let's, let's focus on something we like together. Get them distracted from what they're having a problem with and get them focused on something they like to do together. Even if it is, let's just start playing with this thing. And that's what Paul's calling the others to do. Come on, get in there and just distract them and get their attention on something else together. And that's what we're called to do. They've been serving for years together. Keep it that way. Whatever they disagree on, agree to disagree. And I'm not talking major important doctrines. That's not what I'm saying. Major important practices. That's not what we're talking about here. Don't get sidetracked with opinions and preferences. This is not calling their names and sins out with strong rebukes like some of Paul's other letters, such as Galatians and 1 Corinthians. It's more like Philemon 8 and 9, where he says, look, you know, I could command you, but I don't want to do that. I am holding back because I know with you I don't need to do that. I'm beseeching you. I'm requesting that you take Philemon back and treat him like a brother in the Lord because he is now. And it's, it's like Philemon, he's saying, I, I could easily command you, but I'm not pulling rank here when I don't have to. I'm appealing to you. It's more of a nice nudge. I kind of I think that's what he says. You've all been so nice. You've been working so nicely together, so I'm just nicely nudging you. Just let it go, whatever it is. Get back to thinking in the Lord. Get back to the hard work of church. And it's pretty basic and simple and just needs a lot of focus. 
It's a nice nudge to distract and redirect. They have been serving in the Lord. And so they need to make sure they keep it that way by thinking in the Lord, with the mind of the Lord. Don't get delayed on minor differing opinions on some aspect of the ministry. You know, whatever they're disagreeing about, it's in the context of ministry. It's just some of the, you know, kind of practical stuff that you got to deal with in life a lot of times to do ministry in whatever culture you find yourself in. Don't get delayed on minor differing opinions or some aspect of the ministry, and others should help move such things back along that way by guiding them. Beloved, as you are called to stand fast, you must stay focused. Major on the majors. Minor on the minors. And especially on things adiaphora. At some point, just be happy to defer to the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. Think of Psalm 122. You sang this evening. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the happiness. Pray for prosperity. But the number one thing we prayed for. In the house of the Lord. As we gather together for worship. Is peace. The peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 133. Oh we sing how blessed we are. To have unity together as brethren in the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 9. And peacemakers are those who don't avoid conflict. They approach it so to disarm and diffuse it. And too often, the reason we end up having big divisions and we don't even know what we're fighting about anymore, all we know is that there's different contingents, is because nobody gets involved. It's the pastor's job. It's the elder's job. Well, there's a problem. A lot of pastors and elders do not get involved in such things. Because as soon as you get involved in anything, you are the target. (laughs) But the truth is, the people need to get more involved with one another. We see some tension. We don't talk about it. And I I have a prayer request, which is really more of a gospel chain. Excuse me, I meant to say a gossip chain. (laughs) You know, and you know, we don't need to pray about something if we know what to do. Let's go over. And let's talk with someone and remember, hey, good to see you guys. You remember, you know, even if they don't know what you're coming for, hey, you just go in there and you remind them, I remember seeing you guys work like this for years together. And it's so great to see you working. And I'm sure you're going to keep working well together and let bygones be bygones. And hey, remember that year when we were doing this? Wow, you know, and just helping them start to reminisce, move on. Next thing you know, yeah, that's silly. You can have the green. No, no, no. You have the blue. No, it's all right. You have the polka dots. You have the carpet. No, no, no. It's all right. You're right. Let's just go with the, let's just go with the wood floors, whatever, you know. That's the kind of work we need to be doing for and with one another. Now, that being said, here's an amazing providence for me today. At least I was really amazed. I told mom, I said, I can't believe this. While I was rocking my two toddlers to sleep, Uh, Before getting back to finish my sermon on this text, I was uh, listening on my earphones to my phone to the application, the phone app uh, of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. 
And I often choose the Bible study hour with James Montgomery Boyce. I listen to a message or so of his in between the services while I'm getting the guys to sleep. Daddy has a special power, and also he doesn't have a big belly that's hard to sit upon on a, on a chair being rocked. So, and I, I, it's one of my things I really love to do. So, and it gives me a chance to relax and rest, and I'm listening, and I see the messages to choose from today, and they always change every day. And the first message was this, You Won't Believe It, by James Montgomery Boyce. You, want, you know what the title of, of the message was? How to Get Along with Other Christians. I said, get out of here. That's perfect. That's got to apply. I'm sure I can get some kind of nugget out of that for my sermon tonight on Philippians 4, 2, and 3. Well, no surprise, that's what the sermon was on. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I thought that was pretty exciting. And uh, it was rather brief. Uh, and actually, this included an interview, and I, I do want to share with you a few things from James Montgomery Boyce's interview about how to get along with Christians and other people per this text for you tonight. And he was interviewing a man named Reverend Ralph Kuyper. I'm not familiar with him, but the way they introduced him, it sounds like at that time he was rather well known. And uh, he had a good sense of humor, and he pointed them to Ephesians 5. We're going to turn there in a minute. Uh, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, he says, this is Paul's recipe for getting along with one another. So the message by J. Montgomery Boyce was on Philippians 2, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4, 2, and 3. Uh, but this uh, Reverend Ralph Kuyper is pointing us to Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, and he says, this is a particular recipe about how to get along with one another. Now, the funny thing is, he uh, he first joked, he said, you know, my wife and I say, it's just too bad that others aren't more like us. <laughs> you know, We'd all get along fine if they just did what we did and the way we like to do things. You know, and he's, they're joking, right? You know, and wouldn't that be boring, frankly? We wouldn't have anything to talk about or pray about, right? <laughs> you know, so, but of course, the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ, we're not all arms, we're not all toes, we have different functions and different ways of seeing and doing things, and we learn to appreciate that about each other if we do what Paul is saying, and then we wouldn't have it any other way. But he made that joke with his wife, well, it's just too bad others aren't like us. <laughs> but then he says, the secret of getting along with people, especially Christians, is in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. I, I see most of you have turned there already, so let's go ahead and do that. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, he paused before I go on. He says, speaking of not being drunk with wine, he said, generally, people who can't get along with others drown their sorrows in drunkenness. And they only learn how to swim. Let me get back to the text. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, that's a, that's a uh, parallel reference from Colossians. We read this morning about hiding the Lord's word in our heart, all of his commands in our heart. And again, it's referring to singing the Psalter. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And from this text, he says there are three traits of people who are able to get along with others. Now, this is 
something that hopefully you're leaning forward. Oh, okay. What are three main traits from this text? Excuse me, to look to have in ourselves and to help one another develop in to get along with one another. Here's the three traits that he cites. Number one, to be someone who gets along with others, based on this text, be a joyous person. Be a joyful person. Are you joyful or are you naturally angry, discontent, and murmuring? Because that's what got a lot of people killed in the uh, traveling around for 40 years in the wilderness. Be joyful. Number one, you're going to be able to work well with people? Be joyful. My understanding is the John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, uh, he was a strong personality. He beat the pulpit. He didn't mess around. He had a force in his preaching and in his ministry. He could handle Bloody Mary, make her cry, not meaning to make her cry in the wrong way, but deal with stuff. He was a man of courage and conviction. Uh, there's a testimony of one man sitting in the church while he was preaching. He says, I thought for sure he was going to make splinters in the pulpit. You know? And yet, my understanding is he had a great sense of humor. And he was able to get a lot done working in the church. You know, that's the kind of person you really, it's a unique thing to find. A person who can study hard, preach hard, and knows how to work with people and read the room. And, uh, you know, this doesn't mean there's going to be people who don't like him. You've got to preach the truth. You've got to say the truth. Not everybody wants to hear it. But generally speaking, you know, you should be leading for unity, having a presbytery, working with those, even if we don't have very in common, make, majoring on the main things. That's the kind of thing that John Knox was. And probably is just as much why the Church of Scotland grew as much as it did with his fiery personality in preaching. He was good at administration. He wrote a book on the Reformation in Scotland. He was involved in the uh, books of discipline and you know structure of the church, and we benefit from it with our modern Westminster standards that reflect it. I say modern, I mean the original 1600 ones. Um, that's what we need to be, a joyous person, have a sense of humor. Now, appropriate sense of humor, not mocking others, but just a, a way of you know making everybody laugh working together. By the way, the best way to do that, not inviting people to poke at you, but is self uh, uh, self, um, forgetting the word, but poking a joke at yourself. So if you're going to be working as someone who's easy to get along with, with others, be a joyous person. You know, when you're happy and you're joyful in the Lord, somehow a lot of things that usually annoy you just, you know, it's not a big thing. They just don't ha- affect you the same way, right? And number two, be a grateful person. Be thankful. Just had Thanksgiving service. Be thankful. Come to thank the Lord. And thank the Lord. You know, one of the things we saw in Leviticus is one of the main jobs of the minister is to lead the people in being thankful. And that has to start with him being thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful. You know, most people that we observe serving in ministry that are angry and murmuring and contentious are unthankful. They're just never thankful. They're never grateful. They never say thank you. They never send a thank you card. They never act appreciative. Be grateful. Be a, be a joyful person and be a grateful person. If you're thankful for you have, you don't worry about whether they get something you don't. If, if you're thankful for all uh, that people have listened to over the years and all the influence you'd be able to have that's appropriate and proper, then be thankful and don't worry about the times when you have to sit in the back seat and defer to someone else. 
And then third, the third trait of a person who could work well and get along with others, be a self-disciplined person. That's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Temperance, self-control, be patient, be able to wait, be able to wait on others, serving and not worrying about whether you get served, hearing what others have to say before you need to say anything. But just be self-disciplined. You know, that can come up with the idea of drunkenness in the beginning, you know. Discipline yourself in your life so that you can be disciplined in how you approach church life. Again, summary quickly, Reverend Ralph Kuyper. Based on Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, if you want to be someone uh, who has the traits of getting, being able to get along with others, number one, be a joyous person. Number two, be a grateful person. And number three, be a self-disciplined person. And if you are finding that you're often in friction, check yourself first. We always can work on ourselves, amen? We always can work on ourselves. And if we're noticing a pattern, the pattern probably begins and ends with us. Paul is calling them to consider a common ground of working with him and working with one another. To keep working together as a team. And he also can speak from experience of having to follow his own advice. He had to refocus on the main gospel goal in working out differences of ministry along the way. He's had to do this. What he's encouraging them to do. He had a difference of opinion that he had to eventually see reconciled. And I want to walk there with you to see this. Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 5. I want us to see that what he's telling these two ladies to do, he's done himself. He's done himself. And he shows us the example to follow. And, of course, he's been saying, follow my example all along. Acts 13, verse 5. And when they were at Salmis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And uh, then we look to verse 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 15, and pardon me, I am going with some uh, quick references out of one of the commentaries. It might be that I added more than I needed to. Chapter 15, uh, verse 32 through 16, verse 3. Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 32. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, so that is referring, it's connected to the text we looked at before. So Barnabas says, I want to bring Mark along. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. 
And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, chapter 16. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and beheld a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which is well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So we're getting into chapter 16. Later on, this is where the church, the Philippian churches started, right? But what do we see here? Paul and Barnabas are arguing. Barnabas wants to take Mark. And Paul's like, I don't want to take Mark. He didn't show up last time. I need somebody that's going to show up every time on time. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to waste my time with him now. I, I'm not, I don't want to take Mark. And it says they had a very sharp content. I want to take Mark. Give the guy a break. He's young. You don't know what was going on. I mean, they were arguing about whether or not to take Mark with them on this nest missionary trip. So much so that they divided and went in different places. You might say they agreed to disagree and said, well, fine, you take him. But I'm going, I'm going this way. And then he does meet Timotheus, who is actually part of the story of Philippians, isn't he? Given as an example to follow. So he's seeing God's providence all works out. But they had this sharp contention that really didn't need probably to happen. Could have been Paul says, you know, I'm not happy about Mark coming. But fine, let's, let's do this and I'll, I'll work with you. Or Barnabas could have said, you know what, I really think we should take Mark. But if it's going to be a problem for you, I'll hold off for now. I'll come back around and pick up Mark next time. I don't know. I mean, I'm imagining these things. But you get the idea. Paul went through this disagreement that isn't a major doctrine, isn't a major practice. You could see it either way. And these are the things that come up in ministry and church and family and life all the time, right? And we need to be thinking about how to not let them become sharp disagreements when they don't need to be and send us away. Perhaps they could have done even more. We trust God's providence. But Now, here's the thing I want you to see. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And my first... Uh, uh, understanding of this insight uh, I, have, I have from um, Carl Truman. Uh, but this, these scriptures I'm giving you are in Dennis Johnson's commentary on Philippians. Colossians 4, verse 10. Let me get there with you. I know you're there ahead of me. Good job. I tend to have butter fingers with my new Bible. <laughs> just before, uh, or just, excuse me, just after Philippians, right? Colossians, Okay. Uh, Chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. What's the point of that text? Did you catch it? He's recommending Marcus. They've obviously been able to get back together. Maybe Marcus has said, well, I want to prove myself more to Paul. I can understand his criticism. Maybe Paul just decides to be a little easier going and a little softer and say, okay, fine, come along, kid. We'll get it done right this time. But keep up with me. Don't be late this time. You know, or don't tell me you're coming and then not come. I don't know. Maybe Marcus had a decent reason and he didn't understand. And, but just notice, they're obviously working together again. And now he's recommending Marcus. So Paul has 
done what he's telling them to do. Let's get back to focusing on the main thing of the church and the advancement of the kingdom and the gospel. Let's not let ourselves slow down and get disarrayed and you know, diffused in our ministry of all that we've done together. You know, if you make me talk about it again, I'm still going to insist I know I was right on that. But, you know, let's move on. Let's get back. And whatever, dear sisters, you had this disagreement on, don't let it become sharp like I did. You know, work it out. Brethren that are there, we've worked for so long, remind them how long we've worked together. And let's find in letters to come to the churches in the Bible, our names are still here, again, working together. Isn't that a beautiful testimony of Paul and Barnabas and Marcus? And he wants them to have the same testimony. So they continue, keep on, keeping on, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, if Paul can do it, he can ask these ladies to do it. And if he can say to you all in this church as well, highly esteemed, beloved brethren, help one another to keep working well together. Paul's helping. He's calling on others to help. He's asking the ladies to help themselves and help them all out. And that's what he's calling on us to do as the church as we continue to think about the primary focus on unity by our own humility and our willing to deny ourselves for the sake of others, to deny what matters to us and concern with the interest of others, to be willing not to let these things become mountains, not to let these things become walls and divisions. They just, at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of kingdom ministry, are not important. Because at some point, we're all going to be in heaven, and the carpet isn't coming with us. And frankly, if the Lord allows generations after us, somebody else is going to replace it anyways. You know, I think about that. I mean, I don't know anything about, I assume it was all very good. But, you know, the building on the back lot that we've sold, uh, there was a, uh, it was called the Turner Building. And there is a, there's a plate that was in it. And, and uh, I've never met them. And it's always kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? For? Uh, surreal to me to be working and doing things with things by people much more before me. I mean, obviously this church has been here well before I was born. It's just interesting to see the picture when nothing was around it, and now there's so many things, and all those have gone before us, but also we're doing so many improvements. Like the speakers that used to be here are long gone, but somebody was wiring all those things, you know, all these different things. But they'll be gone in a little while. All these things that we can think are so important in a little while, they're just going to be replaced, you know. So let's focus on the main thing, the kingdom that will never be replaced, the kingdom that is eternal, the kingdom that will continue to be uh, benefiting from working together in the new heavens and the new earth with our Lord Jesus Christ, where we won't even discuss these things because the Lord God will tell us what color, (laughs) and the Lord God will tell us what it's going to be as he's created it for us, and we'll all say, it couldn't be done better. We'll all be relieved of having to make those decisions. It'll be the best, and we'll all know it. And we'll just all be so thankful that we kept focusing on the main thing. And we'll be so thankful the Lord has forgiven us so much when we didn't. And there we are rejoicing in the Lord. Let's have more of that now, beloved. More and more. When we find ourselves getting annoyed, when we find ourselves getting frustrated, let us 
recalibrate and say, think of the interests of others. Throw them a bone. Leave something on the table for the sake of Christ and to follow the example of Christ. And most really importantly, let me just die to myself some more. Help one another to keep working well together. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do confess how selfish we are, how stubborn we are, how silly we can be, and sometimes how problematic we can be. We know there are important doctrines and practices to stand for. We know there are places for calling certain individuals out and having strong rebukes and admonitions, always for the goal of repentance and restoration. But we we see here today what probably is most of our living together, working with one another to get along well, not letting minor differences become deep divisions. Lord, the house divided against itself will fall. Let your house, O God, throughout the world and here in this uh, branch of the vine, let the house be strong, built on the rock of what Christ says to do, that when the storms come, we are not swept away in division. Lord, we know that often uh, the house can be small. We know that often uh, it may not be the same as other places, but it doesn't mean it's not strong. And we pray, Lord, that as we are rebuilding the walls, that they would be the walls of defense against those who would come in and divide us and break us down. But that we'd be working together with our shields protecting one another and hammering away, singing your psalms as we work and play together, rejoicing in one another, deferring to one another, letting the world know we are Christians by our love. And love is selfless and sacrificial. And when we fail in some way with our brethren we've been working with for a long time, we are called upon to help one another work it out and work well together once more. Bless us, Lord, with this reference point and help us to catch ourselves, help us to catch and help others and to grow as the family and household of God and the advancing of the kingdom of Christ throughout this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, praying as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.